Welcome to Authors on the Air. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I want to just say first that the ALA, the American Library Association, just released a statement about seven days ago stating that banned books increased so much in 2022 that they were horrified to see that it went up 38%, that over 2,200 books have now been banned uh, around different libraries and in schools. This year promises to almost double that. Um, I am very honored to have with me today Claudia Johnson, who was the original crusader for banned books in the 80s. Um, Claudia, welcome to Authors on the Air. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Pam. I'm so happy to be here. You know, it's it's amazing that you've just re-released uh, and updated your book, Stifled Laughter, about your crusade against banned books in the 80s. It's a very timely and relevant book. Um, can you please just kick us off with the, something from your book? Absolutely. I'll kick us off from the moment when I knew I had to be involved. How about that? Okay. It's, that it's, great. <clears throat> it is the um, opening scene of chapter one of Stifled Laughter. <clears throat> March 8th, 1986. I'm sitting by my father's pool in South Florida. It's a pleasant spring night. The mullet are jumping in the deep water canal beyond the pool's screened enclosure. My husband, the folklorist Orman Loomis, is regaling my father about life in Lake City, the small North Florida town where we live. Anne and Ross, our two children, are already sleeping. I lean back, close my eyes, let the ice from my scotch mist melt on my tongue. I've just passed my doctoral exams in English at Florida State, six months of nothing but study, stacks of books and three by five cards, soup to nuts. The Greeks to the present, I'm tired. Orman mentions a minister back in Lake City, a man named Fritz Fountain, who wants the school board to ban the high school humanities textbook because two selections, Lysistrata and the Miller's Tale, promote, in the preacher's opinion, women's lib and pornography. I set down my scotch mist and snap. He did what? It's one of those moments that keeps me guessing about a great design. After reading more than 200 plays for my exams, I decided that Lysistrata is the finest stage comedy ever written, a rare breed of play where women are victors, not victims. And the Miller's tale, as Orman well knows, is the reason I'm studying English at all. He's heard the story so often, he likes to say that he could motif it. I can tell by the look on his face, those brown eyes getting bigger, that he knows what I'm thinking. Oh, don't get involved, he says. Please don't get involved. There'll be burning crosses in our front yard. Wow. It's interesting how we become advocates for something that affects us like that. It has to be something personal for you to really advocate and for you to really raise your voice. Sure. What happened after you had that conversation with Orman? Um, we dropped the subject and that was at my dad's in Stewart, Florida. And we drove back to Lake City and didn't ring it up again until the next day when my friend Susan Davis phoned me and she said, had I seen the newspaper with, you know, Fritz Fountain's, I mean, yeah, Fritz Fountain's complaints about the, the high school humanities textbook. 
And I said, I had, and she said, well, what are we going to do? And she and two other parents, uh, Jim and Manya Virgil, uh, we joined forces and, but we were the only people in town who would show up and speak out at the school board meeting. And um, the board banned the entire humanities textbook because there was no one there, just the three of us uh, to support it, uh, the four of us. And um, it was all the next day, all copies were confiscated and locked in the book room at the high school. And then the pall of orthodoxy descended on education in Live Oak. One teacher said, I'd like to teach to kill a mockingbird, but I know I don't dare. A middle school teacher said, I don't teach literature anymore. My students just do grammar. And it was just, it's just tragic. There's always collateral damage. damage. They're banned. There, there really is. There really is. I remember so much um, my humanities classes in what is now called middle school, but then junior high. And of course in high school and then on to college were some of my favorite and they created, uh, they made me imagine, they created excitement in me. I, I wanted to visit different worlds and experience different creative aspects of all the people that I read about. And, um, and I had already been a big reader. So, but I don't remember books being banned at that time. Um, I was out of school, so I would have been out of college and all in the 80s when that happened. And right. um, I, I don't ever remember seeing banned books until more recently in more in current history. So the fight begins again, but the fight is a little bit nastier now because not only is it someone talking about women's lib, but now people of color and the LD, LGBTQ community and some very mainstream authors like Toni Morrison and Jodi Picoult yes. are having their books banned. And it scares me. And uh, tell me how you feel about this because one parent can say, I don't like that book and I want it removed from the library. What about the parents who don't want it removed from the library? Well, you have touched a nerve because the parental the parental rights movement, which you know Glenn Youngkin here in Virginia um, kind of kicked off. Um, it's a minority of parents. Um, those of us who want education to be full and you know books not to be banned, we are in the majority. And so, what I want to yell when I see them on TV or on the streets. I just want to yell, you're not the only parents. You know, parental rights movement, we have to just keep that out there. There is no such thing as a parental rights movement that corners the market on the way that education should be. And yes, it has gotten so much nastier now. And they're going after communities of color and LGBTQ. Um, because the rabid right is rabid to erase them. That's that's what they're doing. And they're they're they do it under the guise of, oh, we don't want anything divisive in our schools. And what can be more divisive than banning books and locking them up? Well, 
It seems to me that every time I hear about a parental rights law, I always think parental parents already have rights. You don't need to legislate those rights because if you are, you're legislating against another parent's set of parents' rights. So if you don't want your kids to be on social media, like banning TikTok or forcing children to give personal information before they can go on TikTok or, or any of these other medias, you're opening up a whole nother dirty bag of worms there. You're, you're allowing children's personal information to go. You're, you're negating parents' control over their students who may know, or their children who may very well know and may monitor their behaviors on social media and what books they read. So where do you draw the line, Claudia? Where do we stop it and say, wait, wait, wait. The statue of David was built to be in a chapel, a house of worship, right. and then was found to be such so exquisite that they moved it in the public arena so people could admire the gorgeous work of Michelangelo. I, I'm it's confusing to me. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how someone thinks they can legislate behavior, but yet they're trying. Why is that, Claudia? Because there is um, a small college in Michigan called Hillsdale College with a right-wing think tank, which has announced in plain sight their um, marching orders. And they are, I have them right here so I could share them with you. This is a quote from Catherine Joyce's three-part um, article in Salon. So she says, quote, marching orders for the right, defund public education, discard academic freedom, remove credentialing requirements for K through 12 teachers, and generally foster so much anger against public schools that it drives a nationwide movement to privatize education. And so, but, it, it's so, but let me get to the, the, the really horrifying part of that. That's that's their strategy. Books are the first movement in their dark and terrible long game, which is to, I mean, public education is the bedrock of democracy. So once it's privatized, they can install, and they're doing this, out of Hillsdale College, a, a theocratic curriculum. And then once that is installed, um, public education will not be funded because people who go to private schools can take that money with them. And then their long, long, long game is to destroy our democracy. They've announced it publicly and they're doing it in plain sight um, and replace democracy with theocracy. You know, here's it's the so thing. Dark. It is so fascist and so dark. Um, but we're seeing those marching orders being replicated, um, of course, Florida, but Texas and, um, you know, I think Montana. Others are beginning to pick up on the right wing agenda, the rabid right wing agenda and 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 execute it there. Um, and it's it is a I mean, democracy is on the ballot. Democracy is on the chopping block and they don't even mince words about it. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to hear more about 
how you changed it up in the 80s when this these two books led to the banning of the humanities text and what you did to fight it. We, um, Manya uh, and Jim Virgil and Susan Davis and myself, um, we talked to people in town in, in Lake City. A number of people said to us, we are shocked by the ban and we are on your side. And we said, great, come to the next school board meeting and say so in public. Not one person would do it. And Susan Davis Riley summed up their reaction. She said, short of doing something, what can we do? And, and that, that was the end of the story in, in Lake City um, because if we could have gotten a big crowd of people to go and speak out, things might have changed because school boards are elected and, and political power is really the only thing that speaks to them. So we were out of options until one day I got a phone call from uh, a gentleman who was putting together a, a PBS panel about the First Amendment in the classroom. And he asked me if you know, he'd seen my name in the Jacksonville paper and would I come and be part of the PBS panel? So I said yes. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I'm surprised the ACLU hasn't gotten you know, involved in this. And, you know, I, I wasn't about to admit to him that I hadn't even thought about that because, I mean, there's no listing for the ACLU in the Lake City phone book, right? right. Um, but we got in touch with the um, Miami chapter and and they took the case and, and we took the school board to federal court. But really what people need to know is, you know, you don't always succeed in court, but if you can put together a grassroots coalition in your town, really all politics are local and book banning yes. politics are particularly local. Um, and if you show up and speak out, it makes a difference as the next two cases that I talk about that I fought. Um, the, the new introduction to Stifled actually talks about 2021 here in Virginia Beach. Right. And well, I'd like you to talk about that one too, because it's important to understand that there is a history. Going on. Yeah, yeah, it's still going on. There's a history of book banning, and it's only getting worse. And only by becoming part of the collective voice against banning books, against banning anything or canceling anyone or denying someone rights, you have to be part of that collective force. Your voice must count. Tell us about 2021, please. And so in, in October, 2021, um, uh, and, we, and then we can come back to Live Oak, which is also an important part of the story. But in 2021, when I thought, you know, I'm done with book banning, my son Ross texted me the front page of the uh, Virginian Pilot, our local paper in Virginia Beach. And, it, you know, the headline was um, two school board members, not parents, school board members had asked the board. They, they had asked six books be removed. They were the usual suspects, Bluest Eye, Lesson Before Dying, you know, Lawn Boy and, and others, um, genderqueer. Uh, and... So I read this and I thought, no, no, not, not again. And Ross said, I mean, he's a grown man now. He said, mom, you know, I, I said, should I 
go to the meeting and speak out. He said, you have to, you have the credentials and, you know, the experience. And right. of, course, of course I had to go. It was the um, height of the pandemic. We had to sit, there were eight seats between people at the school board meeting. So I went very early so I would get a seat. And um, I mean, I felt my job was to say, the First Amendment protects students' right to receive information codified by the PICO decision at the Supreme Court. Um, but what was so dazzling and so inspiring, Pam, was um, one high school student after another, you had to sign up to speak uh, and their names were called because not all of us could be in the room. One after another, when their name was called, spoke out passionately for the difference in their lives that these books had made. Wow. And there were <clears throat> more than a dozen and it was phenomenal. And um, all six books were reinstated. And so maybe that's what we have to do is we have to get that's the what kids. I mean by show up and speak out. Yeah. The kids who are affected by this ban, because, you know, parents really aren't affected in the same way the kids are. The kids are the losers here. And, um, you know, and so hopefully, particularly middle school and high school students and college students even are aware that their voices matter in this fight, along with their parents and their parents encourage them to be part of the pushback on banning books and banning anything. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, if we don't push back, you know, we get the country, you know. We deserve, yeah. We, we really do. We really if do. We, if we let it go and it's not my fight, I, you know, I don't have a kid in school, uh, da, 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 da. it is everybody's fight. I have always maintained that I would prefer living in an educated community than oh. one that isn't. An educated <laughs> community is one who will find jobs, will find housing, will not be a drain on local and state taxes. Um, they, they are a happier community. Um, the, the rising tide lifts all ships, or, you know, to paraphrase. Uh, so community is our first defense against hate and anger and intolerance. So, um, yeah, it's it's really scary now. It's scary as someone who loves books. I don't have a television, as you know. So uh, I I I want to I want to scream for everyone to get on board and say we have to stop this. We have to let our voices be heard and stop legislating parenting. Stop telling me what my grandkids can read or not. Uh, their parents and I are on board with the same thing. They're, 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 my grandparents' mom is an educator. She would never think to, to ban a book or not allow it. It's, it's anathema to us. It, it is. I mean, books were sacred in the house where I was sure. raised. Um, I'm a writer, so books are still sacred to me. Absolutely. And, you know, in the public schools, <clears throat> books are carefully chosen by learned educators, teachers, librarians. Yes, yes. And this yes. whole heckler effect where one parent can go in like the moms for, mom for liberty uh, in Martin County and said, I don't like these 78 books, which, by the way, she had not read and they never have read them. And we need right. to put our foot down and have school boards put um, 
into their procedures that no one can challenge a book until they can, you know, sign an affidavit or take a quiz that shows that they have read it in its entirety. What, what they're offended by. Right. What, right. What, right. What's the passage that offends you the most? I, I'd like to know that and tell me why, you know, how has it affected your life and how will it change your child is really to me, the, the meat of the argument. Why do you think this is happening? How will it change? How will it be detrimental to your child to read that? But um, there's a lot of cancels going on. If I may say, the part that they're offended by, they haven't read it. So they either flip through it until they find a passage about sexuality. But mostly social media is the accelerant. And yes. they are getting this off social media because they're all complaining about the same thing. And, um, you know, so... I just, I have no respect for anyone who bans a book that they have not read. Well, I don't have any respect for someone who bans a book, even if they've read it. Yes. Freedom of speech and expression. I, you know, I, I may not want to read the book, but I, I sure will support your right to go ahead and write it and publish it and have it out there in the ether, you know, may not be my cup of tea, but that and, and that goes with every mainstream writer that I, I read. So it may not be for me, but it's for somebody and that somebody deserves their chance to go ahead and have their book out there. And, you know, they got the jump on us, you know, being louder and and, you know, they, they, they took over school boards. Um, we need to take back school boards. Um, you know, it's there is. It, there's a very important website, whether, I don't know what people's politics are, but this is so helpful. It's called progressivevotersguide.com. And you can put in your zip code and it will list everyone who's running for the school board, for example, and what, if they're for book banning or not. And we have to, that's the first thing after showing up and speaking out that we have to vote people who are pro book banning off school boards. Um, that's that's the local push that we have to do. It's interesting to me that in local elections, when I talk to my neighbors and so on, and you know, we'll if we're like-minded and and open enough to discuss whether our differences are political or not, a lot of people tell me that they don't vote for the school board because they don't have children in the school board. And you know, children in the school system, excuse right. me. And so but I always think, wow, but they're the next generation of leaders. And if they're not getting a well-rounded education, then we are failing the next generation. Right. That's a wonderful point, Pam, because, you know, we, again, public education is the bedrock of democracy. And if we let it be dismantled, then democracy will be also. And I know, I know, I know that it can be scary to speak out. And I, and I acknowledge that. But I would just counsel everybody who is hesitant to show up and speak out at school board meetings, march in the street, let's do a freedom to read march on Washington. Sure. But people who are scared, um, and I, I've been through that, it's, it can be scary. Sure. Um, they, they, I would just say to everyone, take a moment to contemplate what it will be like if our democracy is destroyed, which is what 
the rabid right wants, um, because then we will not have the right to speak out. So we just have to, you know, um, push ourselves to, uh, to, to call everybody we know, like-minded people, because there is safety in numbers. There is yes, safety and there is power in numbers. And I'm telling you, in Live Oak, if I can go there, so Orman and I were so sickened by what we saw in Lake City that um, we moved 17 miles away to a little town of Live Oak where we had really great friends and no books had been banned. So we did that and built a beautiful cracker style farmhouse in 1988. 1991, at an end of summer volleyball party, I discovered that a fundamentalist parent, um, Zeke Townsend, wanted the Swanee County School Board to ban Of Mice and Men. And you know what? I was smarter. I have to, I have to give Orman credit for it. So I was like, no, no way, not again. And he said, he's such a wag. He said, now, Claudia, you know, the root word in fundamentalist is fun. And that got me laughing so hard, restored my perspective. But I had learned that if you don't put together a grassroots coalition, you're not going to sway a school board. And so I made a long, 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 long list of like-minded people. And they made a list of like-minded people. And we, I mean, that school board meeting was standing room only. Good, and good. Big Townsend and, and his faithful were on one side and teachers and librarians and parents and students spoke out one after another. And the teachers who would, were too scared to speak out in Lake City, um, these teachers were, they, they were, they, they spoke out so eloquently and so beautifully that they wanted their students to have the right to choose between, you know, I mean, they, they don't want their, their choices in literature limited sure. by, one, by one parent. So we're back to that, you know, but right. mostly they want their, their children to have a full, full and rich education, which, which is, you know, the bedrock of democracy. I keep coming back to that, but that is what's threatened. And if people, if that doesn't make people want to speak out, I, I don't know what will, because, um, you know, we're, you know, I know that um, you have seen it as a political issue. And to a certain extent, I agree with you because I see in my own state what's happening. But I have to believe that there are those who are not politically minded as you might be and may sit on the other side of the aisle who also believe they want their children to have a well-rounded education. I think that um, it, it, I, I don't want to only engage one group and not another because I really truly believe that for the most part, you know, people are good. They may have a, a different way about how the government should run and all. But if you're a parent, I don't think you want anyone to take over your role and legislate how you parent and including what what your kids do for entertainment, what they read, what their subjects are. Shouldn't that be left to the parent, Claudia? I absolutely. Regardless and, of who it is. Exactly. And and let me just make a very interesting point here. Uh, first of all, I, I don't see book banning strictly as political. I'm just saying if, if we don't go and speak out in large numbers, we 
cede political power. This is and true. That's, that's what elected people understand. Right. Uh, but, but in Lake City, I mean, I was, you know, uh, I was labeled a Berkeley liberal because my master's in English is from Berkeley. But my three, um, uh, Jim and Manya and Susan Davis, they were Republicans. They were Reaganite Republicans. So censorship makes strange bedfellows. And it doesn't it does. because it's yes. about, um, I mean, when I first met Manya, she looked like Miss Kitty in Gunsmoke. And she dropped her cigarette on the sidewalk outside the school board meeting. And she just ground it out with her, you know, strappy uh, high heels. And she said, no preacher is going to tell my kid what they can read. You know, and so it, it, we were a really mixed bag politically. I, so you said something that's interesting. You talked about censoring. And I think that's it. I don't think anybody wants to have their views censored. There should be room at the table for everyone to have a discussion, but there is no room at the table for a unilateral decision that affects so many. Is that right? Yes. Am I catching yes. what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, a, a, a rabid minority is making choices for you know, the majority. And in the process, they're destroying education and, and ultimately our democracy. So, um, yeah. And, and the thing is, what was so beautiful about the Live Oak School Board meeting, and I want to just say that the penultimate chapter of Stifled Laughter is a verbatim transcription of the audio tape of that meeting. And then I rendered my thoughts. But, um, you know, it, it, it just is so moving how Susie Tuttle, who was um, our daughter's sophomore English teacher, um, she, you know, she just, she addressed Zeke Townsend as a fellow farmer and friend and found it's, it's, we're not going to get anywhere until we find common ground. Commonality. Mm -hmm. In that moment, his side of the room, they shifted uncomfortably because it was very disarming you know, it, and it sort of took the heat out of the moment because sure. because they were fellow farmers and friends. And she said, and we both want what's best for our daughters. But she said, what you want for your daughter may not be what I want for mine. And so she asked the school board, she said, I, I just want to preserve, you know, the, the right to choose for our students. And, and that's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's it. That it, is it. Right to choose. If you don't want your child to read something, don't allow them to read it, but don't forbid anybody else to read it. That is it in a nutshell. D I don't want my kid on TikTok. Well, I'm going to tell my kid you're not on TikTok or give me the phone and you're not having it back. There, there has to be a, a right of parents and a right of students to choose together. The parents and the, and the student choose what is best for them. Absolutely. You, I, don't, I don't think parents unilaterally make decisions. Once a child has understands what reasoning is and, and can have a conversation with their parents right. about books, about music, about entertainment, about lifestyle, about anything else. And, you know, unfortunately, everyone talks about cancel culture, and I don't think that's what this is. This isn't canceling. This is 
taking away someone's right to learn. And that is scary. It is. And it's the, the, the more ignorant we are, the more easily we can be taken over by theocracy and, and, um, uh, and fascists. I mean, to take away someone's right or someone's children's right to read a book is, is fascist. I mean, it is the, it's a use of force to impose your will. And there is not, I cannot imagine anywhere in the United States now, especially in this climate, um, where a teacher or a librarian would not say, if a parent asked, I want my student to have an alternate text. It's done all the time. Yeah. And, and so then you don't have to read of mice and men, you know, you can choose something else off the summer yeah. reading list or whatever. And that, that is the way forward. That is the way forward. Um, choice. Always choice. Always, always choice. choice. Okay. And, and so the, the student, the, the parent who is um, offended, you know, it's like, where is it written that we won't be offended? I mean, everybody's offended by something everywhere. And that is not in the First Amendment. It, it does seem like we're awful touchy these days, right? right. <laughs> Some people are awful touchy about everything these days. I, you have to grow a thick skin and choose your battles and not deny anybody else's right. Claudia Johnson, I, I am so happy that I'm talking to you because it's such a timely reissue of your book, Stifled Laughter. I want to remind everyone that you can get this from books anywhere. Claudia is... Um, well, she's also my friend, but when we agree on so much about books and the importance of them, um, part of this is a memoir and part of it is classroom drama. I think it'll be there waiting for you. You have the choice to get it. Right, Claudia? Absolutely. You have the choice. And it is a funny book. I mean, it's it is. Book. And it's not big, by the way. It's only 180 pages and you'll breeze through them pretty fast. But I promise you want to go back and read it again because there are little details that you're going to miss on the first pass, which is why I, sometimes I'll read a book on a Kindle and then I have to say, nah, I got to get the print now because now I want to go through it line by line. You know, it's too easy to flip through on a Kindle. And you know, I'm a big reader as I know you are. I, I know. And and I would just also say, I love that you, you brought up, it's a memoir because it is the story of how profoundly my family and I were changed and empowered during the five years of my fighting yeah. for freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it changed them. It changed. My husband came around. He said, they'll be burning crosses. He became one of the great advocates, you know, um, he was the one who said the root word of fundamentalist is fun, you know? So anyway, um, yeah. Thank well, you thank so much you. for being with me. Oh my gosh. I have so, I'm so glad we got to do this and will I'm, you come back again? And by the way, will course. you come back and interview an author of your choice? Oh, wow. Um, yes. At some point. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, let's caucus and see Good. what, yeah. Yeah. Let's that would be that. amazing. I want to thank everyone for being with us today. Um, the opinions expressed on this show are solely of the host and the guest. Uh, if you don't agree, by all means, write to me and tell me. Um, if you do agree, write to me and tell me. <laughs> and if you liked what Claudia had to say, please go and get her book, Stifled Laughter. Uh, this is a conversation that's not over, and I hope to go back to time and time again. Thank you so much for being with me, Claudia. And thank you. What I just enjoyed every minute. Thank you.